Acts chapter 8, we'll be looking at verses 26 through 40. I always enjoy the opportunity to, to preach the Word of God and, and teach it. And this is a passage that's meant a lot to me as we look at this particular chapter, because it's a person we don't know a whole lot about. We're going to talk about two people, uh, Philip and the Ethiopian. Uh, we don't know much about them outside this chapter, uh, but we're going to see how God brings them together and divinely has their paths cross and uses one man to reach another man for Christ. And that's what ministry is all about, as we think about one person telling another person about the gospel message. To give you some context before we look at our passage today, Philip is, uh, was a deacon in Jerusalem. Suddenly, after Stephen's stoning and, and the persecution began in the capital uh, city there in Jerusalem, the church started to spread. It started to spread, and St- uh, Philip brought it to Samaria. Now, we know Samaritans are, are good Samaritans, and we know, think very positively about them today. But to the Jewish mind, that was the, the mixed breed, the mixed uh, people that they had their own place of worship. They weren't welcome in the temple. And so they weren't eager to really go and, and preach to the Samaritans. But Philip did. Philip went to cross that first culture to the place called Samaria, and we saw that God used him. This is not Philip the disciple. This is Philip, one of the deacons. And we know him better today as Philip the evangelist because almost every time we see his name mentioned, the same sentence is he preached or he spoke. He's always communicating the good news of the gospel. And that leads us to our chapter today, our section of chapter 8, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now we have some geography lessons that we need to have before we get into this a little bit. So we see where Jerusalem is. We see where Gaza is. Philip was in Samaria. Not really that much at all on his way. He is involved in a new church in Samaria that's growing, developing. There's so many reasons that he would have to stay there. But his first direction is an angel of the Lord. Now we see that in in Luke when Gabriel says to Mary and an angel also appears to Zacharias. We see the same phrase, the angel of the Lord, and he said directly to Philip, whether it's in a vision or a dream, we're not exactly sure. But he says what first happens in many times when God calls somebody, first word is always the same. Go, rise, go somewhere different. Whether it be Abram, whether it be uh, Moses, whether it be the disciples, um, Ananias, almost always we see the first phrase very simple. Go, Get out of your comfort zone. Stop doing what you're doing and do something different. Go somewhere else. Go somewhere far away from where you are now. Now, just like with Abraham, there's not a lot of instruction as far as where or why. You know, we always want to know the why. Why do we need to do this? can't tell you how many times my kids want to know every single direction. Why do we need to do that? Why? Just, Just do it. But here, the Holy Spirit 
the angel of the Lord says, go to a desert road. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems a desert's a desert for a reason. There's no growth there. There's nothing worth living for in the desert. That's a place you want to get through to get to some place that's, that's more fertile, spiritually and physically. When we look at desert in Scripture, we often see Jesus, 40 days in the desert of temptation. Elijah had great conflicts with God when he was in desert alone. But that's where the Lord directed Philip. He goes to this place, and if we follow logically, if uh, the next character in our setting is coming from Jerusalem, he's coming from Samaria, he had to have some advance notice to walk, I think, all the way down to here, uh, maybe days before uh, the Ethiopian left, which leads us to our next verse. Verse 27 and 28. And he, Philip, rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. The next character we see, we see Philip, Jewish, deacon, evangelist, pastor, new church in Samaria, a lot of things going on, kind of Jewish upbringing. On the other side, we have Ethiopian. Not modern-day Ethiopia, it would be Sudan, it's, north, it's south of Egypt at the time, a very wealthy place. And what more do we know about him? He was a very wealthy person. He was responsible for the treasury of Candace. That's a, not her name, that's the title, kind of like Pharaoh or Caesar, uh, the queen of the Ethiopians. He was, had a great responsibility to, to count her taxes or her uh, wealth or whatever it was. It was a, a position of great prestige and great trust. So much trust that she allowed him to take a extended holiday. He went to Jerusalem not for business, but to worship. It's kind of an odd thing, if I think about it. Why would he leave Africa? Why would he go days, weeks perhaps, take a break from his job, to seek the truth. I don't think he was allowed in the temple. Maybe near it. I don't know why he even went to Jerusalem. Perhaps somebody was in um, Ethiopia and he heard about him. Maybe someone was there at Pentecost, brought the message back. We don't know. A lot of unknowns about this uh, situation here. But we, knew, no, we do know that he traveled by chariot. He had a driver. And I think he probably had other people with him um, for security. If he had a, a very nice chariot, he probably had wealth with him for the journey, supplies, he would have to overnight somewhere in the desert uh, or on the travels. So I imagine there's probably six, eight, ten or more people that are traveling with him. And he's coming on the desert road. He's returning from Jerusalem. Now what did he find there? What was he seeking there? Well, he's returning with something. Maybe it was with him when he went, or maybe he bought it as a souvenir, but he's coming back with a scroll. A scroll is not something that you could get very easily, probably very costly, but Philip had 
or sees this man, Ethiopian, he's reading a scroll, and it even says where he's reading from. Isaiah. So you have Philip and the Ethiopian rolling along, and we see the second time the Spirit's mentioned, and that's in verse 29. The Spirit said to Philip, audibly this time, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. First was the angel of the Lord speaking to him. He gets up, obeys, goes on this dusty place in his sandals. I don't know how much provisions he had with him, waiting perhaps. I just picture this cloud of dust coming his direction or hearing the, the horse uh, or the wheels of the chariot or whatever was pulling the chariot, seeing this group come. And my first response would not be, hey, I want to run towards that. But that's what the Spirit asked him to do, is to, to go over and join this chariot. I love this word. It's, the word join is the same word that's used, a husband and wife joined together. It's a word for glue, essentially. So he's, the Spirit's saying, go and join yourself. Get right up next to that. Get right next to this chariot. And so Philip ran. He hears him reading in his scroll, and he understands where he's reading. And interesting, what the dialogue between these two men, it's almost all questions. The first question, the question that Philip asks as he's running, jogging along this chariot, which probably isn't moving very fast, but uh, I imagine he's working up a sweat, running in the desert after this chariot. The guards are probably looking at him a little suspicious, perhaps. And he asks, do you understand what you're reading? Do 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 you get it? And you can hear the frustration and exasperation in his voice here. I can't. I can't understand it. How can I, unless someone guides me, explains it to me, interprets it to me? Now, Philip had spirit-led GPS here to bring him to this position, and now he needs to give guidance to this man as he's reading from the scroll from Isaiah. And so the first time that we see the chariot stop, it stops, invites Philip up, sits next to him. I believe the chariot starts rolling again. And he invites him to come up and sit with him. Two very different people, very different backgrounds, economically, geographically. Here they are, side by side, because this man, this Ethiopian, has a thirst for the truth. We don't know his name. But he's curious, seeking, wants to know what he's reading. Now we know what he's reading. The passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, from Isaiah. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, even with a theological degree, this is still a, a difficult ex- explanation, interpretation especially when you didn't have the benefit of the New Testament like we do now. I think if just a roll or two earlier in the scroll, and we know today is Isaiah 52, 7, it says, How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. And who's bringing him good news? Someone on foot, Philip. And here he is reading in this chapter, chapter 53, 
There are few chapters in the Old Testament, I think, that can compare to this particular one, pointing clearly to Jesus as the Messiah. Now the terms there are sheep, lamb, sheared, slaughtered, rabbi sheared and slaughtered, but here he, he's trying to understand, comprehend what this is referring to. He's been reading about bruising, all we like sheep have gone astray, um, all the terminology that's used there, and even modern day rabbis struggle to explain this outside of them, uh, of them without explaining it as Jesus the Messiah. And humiliation, that's a whole other sermon, these two verses alone. I'd love to dive in here a little bit deeper. But he's looking at this verse, and Philip has the opportunity to explain it to him. And this, is, I think, is the next question the Ethiopian, the eunuch, asks him. In verse 34, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Second question, First, how can I, unless somebody explains it to me, an invitation to explain. Now, very specifically, what's the gist of this, this passage? I think it's probably the Greek translation, the Old Testament, that he's, he's trying to understand, comprehend. And as Philip is explaining to him, the key verse that I see is verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He uses the springboard to dive into the, the gospel pool, to talk about the message, to talk about grace and faith. And now is the, the time where every single one of us could think, what would I do if I was in that seat? Where would I go? What would I steer towards? What verses would I need to explain to him? How much background does he know? Does he know anything about before Isaiah, does he know about Jewish sacrificial system? What does he know? So the next few moments or days, I don't know how long they were sitting there traveling together. I pictured several days. As they're traveling, sitting, eating, finding limited water they have in the desert. All the questions that this, this man had and all the answers that Philip had for him. Having spent time with Peter and John and the disciples, and I don't know if he met Jesus personally or not, uh, but he's explaining to him about grace, about faith, about Jesus came to die on the cross, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile alike, which is good news for him. Many people think this was the first Gentile convert, which is why there's so much spent um, time spent talking about this particular encounter. So here they are, going through the message. And what do they have to cover? Well, they have to, he has to learn about the church as well. He's probably telling about what God is doing in Samaria, about the Holy Spirit, about he maybe even has direction how he got there. And that's often where it stops with us. When we're sharing with someone, we share the gospel message. And then the response is not up to us. We would like it to be. We'd like there to be some magic formula or buttons that we push and suddenly everything goes on and they accept the message. But it doesn't always happen. In fact, many times it doesn't, but it gets them started thinking in the right direction. But here we have good news or good ending to the good news. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, 
See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Question number three, the third time he speaks. And the second time, the chariot stopped. Um, so I think they're coming out of the desert. Maybe it's just a, a puddle or a pond or maybe it's the Mediterranean Sea. But they're here, and he's been, already taught him about baptism. He says, what's preventing me? Can I, can I be baptized now? And it's older manuscripts. Uh, you have verse 37 footnote in many of your modern translations uh, because it may be a, a, not in all the manuscripts. But it talks about if you have faith and if you believe, you may. And he says, yeah, I do. I do. I'm ready. And verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Baptism is such an important part of Ukrainian church and Russian church. Baptism under, in the, during the communist days was the moment that you could be imprisoned when it's a step of public profession of your faith and trust and belief, turning from the communist system to and atheist beliefs to God. Baptism is still a very important part of their service today. It's usually an event held in the summer or even the winter. They carve holes in ice sometimes to publicly baptize somebody for their faith in Christ. And that's what we see taking place here as it pulls over. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, the, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's start with the, with the Ethiopian here. He's baptized for his faith in Jesus Christ. His sins are forgiven. I think his driver, others, saw this, what was taking place here, and he has his newfound joy. I still remember the face of one Ukrainian gal, friend of mine, ours named Marina. I remember she was searching when she was in high school, 16, top of her class and everything. She's very bright, intelligent. Came to some English outreaches that we have and, and took steps to faith in Christ. And then she took steps to obedience to be baptized. The expression of joy in her face as she came out of the water, I will never forget. Understanding that even with her unsaved parents, her mom was there. And just the, the new joy that she had in Christ, and expressing it through water baptism in the Dnieper River in, in, in Kiev. Just that marvelous joy that I see in her face. And she still is a good friend and serves faithfully in her church and uh, married and has children of her own. Now, this man, Ethiopian, comes out of the water. They both were in the water. And they come out. And the eunuch could not see Philip. Now, modern day, we call this teleportation, where suddenly Philip's not there. He disappears. Maybe he took an Uber and Elijah drove by in his chariot. I don't know. But he just disappears, and he appears farther down the road. So this great moment when I see this 
Ethiopian ready to give his new brother in Christ a hug is suddenly there just celebrating by himself and, and others who were wondering what's going on. But he went away rejoicing just like the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 when they saw baby Jesus. He went away rejoicing with that newfound faith and a newfound joy that can only be found in Christ. That's a wonderful picture of him. And we don't know the rest of the story. Get back in the chariot, return to Ethiopia for sure. Uh, other historical documents, uh, history tells us that he helped develop and start the church in Africa and became an evangelist. And, and a couple hundred years later, Christianity was a major religion in the place that he was from. Um, but we don't know beyond that. Philip, Philip does what Philip always does every time we see him. What does he do? He goes for a holiday at the sea. No, he goes to a new town. Didn't have to walk this time, fresh legs, <laughs> and starts preaching the good news. Perhaps sharing the story of the Ethiopian. Uh, we don't know exactly, but he returns back to Caesarea, the port city of Samaria, where he was from at the beginning of this chapter. And as we see Philip, we don't see anything beyond this verse until chapter 21 when Paul drops by on his way, by, way to Jerusalem, stops by in Caesarea, and Philip's still there in Samaria, faithfully pastoring, preaching. He's got four daughters who are following the Lord, also mentioned there. That's Philip's 20 years of ministry, was in that same area, as best I can understand. The faithfulness that he had and the faithfulness that we have to be faithful where God has placed us where God called him. He didn't call him to go to Ethiopia. He called him to go to talk to the Ethiopian. And then he brought him physically back to Samaria where he wanted him to serve. Tremendous story, tremendous passage. And as I think about that, I think, all right, what are some practical ways, applications to this truth if you're taking notes, there are going to be a couple points I want you to write down here. As you think through this story and we think through this historical event, Philip brings the gospel to one man who goes on his way. Philip returns. First of all, it has to start with the actions, not of the apostles, but actions of the Holy Spirit. And so my first point is pay attention to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. It says at the very beginning he got up. I think he was sleeping or lying down. He didn't hesitate. He got on the road, started going to place where he was supposed to go. If he had stayed where he was for a few more weeks, he would miss the opportunity. That was a moving target. He wasn't going to wait around for him. His curiosity would have turned to frustration if someone didn't explain that to him. God brought him through the Holy Spirit to go there. God prompted him, perhaps through prayer, perhaps through an audible voice, to go speak to him. And then the Holy Spirit led him as he spoke to the gospel message with him. The Holy Spirit's working even in the Ethiopian to have a curiosity and understanding of what 
is he reading here? He had a thirst, a hunger that only God could fill. And the Holy Spirit was involved in that. Now it's, the smartphone is something still relatively new to me, but I know this, there's things called notifications. I especially notice that when I forget to turn them off, I'm getting texts from Ukrainian in, in the middle of the night. Ding! <laughs> we need a Holy Spirit notification. No, silence your phone <laughs> and pay attention to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. This is a picture of what I call home in Ukraine, in Kiev. Huge high rises, 16 stories, 20, even 34, 35 story bedroom communities that are just built in the last five, 10 years. As I took the subway and would go by this area, I just saw the cranes going up and the trucks that came as they built this over many years, these buildings that you see in front of you. Um, when I first went to Kiev, almost none of this was there. And as these buildings went up, and I thought, people are going to move in there, and they need a church. There, there's going to be a great opportunity to witness to that community, to that area where there's at least 60,000 people. That prayer and thought for starting a new church continues to go inside me as I look at the next step, but it relates to this place. It's called Asagorki. Is the metro stop. If you ever come to Kiev, Asagorki metro stop is where you want to get off and take a right and a left, and then you'll be up on these streets where you saw my family walking in the video there. And there's a man named Alexander, Sasha, Alexander is his name. He studied at seminary. He teaches and works the office across from me. He was also interested in playing in church and I said, this needs a church. And other people had said the same thing to him. So about two years ago, Renewal Church was started in this area in a banquet hall right here. It's a two-story banquet hall. Uh, on Sundays, they rent it for a few hours. And then the afternoons and evenings, someone else rents it for weddings or other banquets. And it's reaching this, this area Subway's about down here a little bit. Uh, and this is uh, thousands of people with no gospel witness. There's an Orthodox church that's being built, uh, or is finished down there a little bit. But there's no evangelical Protestant church to, in that community. I was there for um, Christmas and some other outreach events they had. I think I'm back there with Titus on my shoulders. And unsaved people were coming and wanted to hear what this was about. This summer, a man named Nikolai was baptized. The first baptism of this church, first member, baptized member, who lives in these buildings. And I thought maybe just for that one man, whose son and his wife also were attending the church, maybe that's the only reason this, this church is existing for, for right now. But it's growing. There's an outreach that's happening there, and we're still praying for God to do more work in Renewal Church and through Alexander and others who are involved in that. But it starts with a prompting, a yearning, a desire to do more for the Lord. So that's the first thing, is to pay attention to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. 
Secondly, and not less importantly, is to carefully study the Word of God. Now, these may sound like they're very fundamental, but you start with the fundamentals. It starts with understanding Scripture. This is a seminary student who was saved just a couple years, I think two or three years before this picture was taken. Someone witnessed to him, and he came to know Christ and started attending uh, church and felt that he needed more. He needed more than the, the two sermons on a Sunday morning. And um, so he was accepted by the seminary and is studying the Word of God. This picture tells you a lot. You've got highlighters, you have very carefully underlying parts, and his, I think his very first Bible he's ever owned, as he wants to learn more and wants to know more. There are so many people like him that I encounter who just have an enthusiasm and desire to learn. And they're going to graduate from seminary, not with any church to take them on for the most part. They will go back to do the same job they're doing while they're in seminary, be more effective to minister, to serve. Uh, but for him and for everyone, it starts with carefully study the Word of God. 1992 was the first time it was ever in Ukraine. Right after the fall, about a year, less than a year into their independence, went to prisons, hospitals, um, schools, camps, passing out the Word of God, New Testaments, and it was like nothing I've ever seen before. You'd open a box and people just want to want a copy, and can I have one more for my neighbor, for my mother? Um, just hugging it and uh, something else I found very odd at the time I understand better culturally they would bring it and they'd say could you sign it and I'm, I'm thinking well I couldn't speak Russian I was like you know I didn't write that right <laughs> you know? but they wanted me to sign it because it was like a gift to them they wanted me to, to sign as a gift for, for them they wanted to uh, it would mean more to them if they had a signature of who gave it to them and so I did that, and we handed out thousands of, of New Testaments. Because for many years it was outlawed. There were warehouses that kept them safe from, from the propaganda of atheism and um, communism about the evil of this book. And now they have it. I would like to think that all of those have been read, but I know many of them are sitting on shelves, and the moment for, for some has passed, like, that was interesting. That was a phase I may went to, looked at the Bible, but now I don't really need to learn it more. But let that never be said of us. We carefully, regularly study the Word of God. Philip didn't know what he was going to encounter there, what was going to be his question of the day. I think it makes us afraid sometimes to witness because they're going to ask a question I don't know the answer to. Well, the Holy Spirit helps with that, and there's a lot of commentaries and things that we have to help with that. And you don't have to have all the answers. You know, the Lord changed my life. That's where it starts. And this book continues to nourish me, continues to challenge me, continues to help me to strive to be a better father, husband, person, citizen, worker, whatever it is. So carefully study the Word of God is the second point I see from, from this. The third is, be ready to share your faith with others. 
there's an, um, under communism, they had the pioneers. They had red lobe bandanas they had, and they did them in school after school, and you had to join if you want to be a member of the Communist Party, so you joined at a young age. They have an expression which everybody knows. Sigdagotov, which means always ready. Okay, there it means always ready for the state, okay? But here it means that's what we are called to do, always be ready to share the love that we have in Christ. In season, out of season, when we're tired, when we're busy, when we're having a tough day, whenever. And that relates to the first two. The Holy Spirit helps us as we study the Word of God, prepares us for that opportunity at the grocery store, at the coffee shop, on the airplane, whatever it might be. Be prepared to share your faith with others. We talked a little bit in Sunday school, my wife and I, about how God has used the house that we've moved into the last three, a little over three years now. One way is to invite people in that wouldn't come to church. If you say, hey, come and have a Bible study with me, most of them probably say, I'm good, thanks. But we say, well, our seven-year-old's having a birthday party. Can you, can you come? So they, they come for, for cake. Everyone loves cake. And get to know them a little bit better and who they are and, and, and what is important to them and their values. And look for opportunities to share your faith, even in small ways. To share your story and your journey of faith with them. This is an outreach that we had uh, last January. Several members of our church and friends of ours are nannies. They are watching other people's children when they're not watching their own sometimes and get paid to do that. And uh, some, several of them have had opportunities to share their faith with their coworkers. And sometimes they've said, oh, we have these American friends. They have five kids. Americans living here? Five kids? Really? I want to meet them. And so through that started a idea that Rachel and I said, we need to find an opportunity for them to come over. So holidays are a good time to do that. And so we had several unsaved couples that came to our home and enjoyed pizza and um, cake and tea and other good, good food. And the kids played and did crafts upstairs while we had games and, and just interacted with them downstairs. Uh, and just a chance to, to talk to a Buddhist, to talk to an atheist, people that wouldn't darken the doors of our church and um, wouldn't read a Bible probably if we gave, them, gave it to them, but are open to us as people and curious about the faith and the reasons that we are for, for being in Ukraine. So we're praying for, for this couple on the right that the Lord will work in their heart and their lives and pray for the next opportunity to share with them. Vladimir Nikolaev uh, grew up in a small place called Transnistria in Tiraspol. We know it as Moldova, but since 1991, it's, uh, Russia's had their uh, control of that, essentially. Uh, it's a little country no one recognizes there. They have a Russian military base there, and it's a place people have forgotten. I've been there. You can't be there more than 24 hours without registering. Um, but he grew up and serving in the army uh, for a while, jumped out of parachutes, uh, and then God got a hold of his life. He married the pastor's daughter from the, the church there, 
and just wanted to learn more about the Bible. He heard there was this Bible school in Odessa, which wasn't too far from where he lived, called the Church Ministries Institute, or the CMI. And he went and met some teachers there and had his first class, and it just opened his eyes. Wow, this is a very deep book. And he learned more and more and studied more. And soon he started teaching. And he, his three children, um, they moved to Kharkiv for a while. And then a couple years ago, they moved to Kiev. And he is now the, the director or the president of the Church Institute, the CMI. And he lives in Kiev. He has an office right across from mine at the seminary. And the uniquenesses of the CMI is its church-based Bible schools. They have 15 churches that they would send the teachers there and teach them Old Testament, New Testament survey, Bible doctrines, how to share your faith, how to study the Word of God, some basic foundational courses. Most churches do not have anything like a Sunday school, so they have great lack of teaching of the Word of God. They have preaching, which is great, uh, but teaching the Word of God is, is lacking for many of them. And so this is a, an area that the CMI has been able to help. And so Vladimir, uh, there he is, graduation. Uh, and there's the pastor of the church plant, Alexander, I talked about earlier. And myself, had a great graduation in May for some of the CMI graduates. Um, in January, I mentioned Sunday school, they legalized religious diplomas for the first time in their history which means they would accept your bachelor's of theology. That can be a basis to get a master's in economics or in education or even a doctorate level. You can, they can use that degree as a, as a bachelor's level, uh, which is remarkable uh, and an answer to prayer. Uh, so many of them wanted to come back and get this diploma, even though they finished their coursework before. Uh, so this is, these are some of the students that came and uh, and they're representing several countries and several different churches. Uh, and they have the diploma from the, the Church Ministries Institute. Well, this week, they celebrated the 25th anniversary of the CMI. And before I returned, uh, Vlody and I went to the new wing that, uh, the seminary that um, God is going to use to further the ministry of the, the CMI. And I was thinking through about this, the Church Ministry Institute in particular, that's, I think, the reason why your pastor went there the first time to Ukraine, to work on the wall. And Caleb, the first time, to work build a wall in this corner of Odessa, which became the CMI. Uh, one reason I went to Ukraine was to teach at, this, at the CMI. There's another option for me to go to Russia. Through that, I ended up meeting my wife and... I met Volodya, the, uh, he was on our first date, I guess. I translated for him when Rachel and I and, and another couple were, <laughs> were meeting together. It wasn't really a, a date, first meeting. Um, but he was a part of that. So I, I say all that to think, um, they celebrated 25 years this week. In fact, there's Caleb, was there in, in Kiev, and I wasn't a part of that, obviously I was here. Um, but 25 years of God's faithfulness, over 1,000 graduates, 70-plus churches have been a part of this. And your church has been a part of that from many years back, 25 years. So I wanted you to just celebrate with us a little bit.
uh, what God is doing. Uh, and that's of Lodian's wife, Anya, who also works there. And she's got a degree in music. Um, but we're celebrating God's faithfulness, celebrating 25 years of God's work in our lives. Um, so I've, finally, I want to talk about living like Philip. Now, I already talked about these points, but now let's, let's not talk about Ukraine, let's talk about you. As you sit there and as you think, if we want to be faithful to follow the Lord, we need to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Is it possible that he wants you to go somewhere else? It might be across the hall or across the fence or across the country or across the world. God called me January 9, 1992 when a preacher at Cedarville challenged the students to shake my hand, commit to go to the former Soviet Union, not for a year, but for your life. I went forward, shook Bruce Wilkinson's hand, and committed to do that. I have the journal entry from that day, and saying, God, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know what that's going to mean. I don't know any Russian, but I know this is clearly from you. I've tried to be faithful to that call that God has placed in my life, and there have been ups and downs. There have been times of doubt in my mind, times of uncertainty. But I always knew that's where God was leading me and directing me. And that's where we plan to go back and to continue to do what God has called us to there. But let's turn it back towards you. <laughs> Is God calling you to do something else, to join us in Ukraine? to do something in your local ministry, to share your faith with a coworker. So pay attention to prompting the Holy Spirit, which means we need to spend time in prayer. Time alone. Time where we can think. Time where we can, if you like to journal, you know, I think it's a great way to, to write out your thoughts and see what God can do in and through you. So pay attention to those spiritual notifications. Second, is your shovel dirty as you've been digging through the Word of God, as you've been digging deep to the depths of that glorious book that's transformed so many lives historically and even today around our world? Sometimes I think there will be a certain point in our life, in my life, where I can spiritually coast. It's not going to happen. You know? It kind of like, I've been in airports a lot lately, kind of like that moving sidewalk. And if you just stop, it's going to keep you going. You know? You you're, keep moving forward. You have to keep moving beyond and keep growing. Sh share your faith with someone else. Read a verse Maybe it starts with a verse a day, a chapter a day. Maybe it's something that's been kind of um, left behind for you for a few weeks or months or years. Maybe this would be the opportunity to take up that book that people have died for, that miraculous book that's been translated and transformed. Third, be ready to share the gospel with others. 
The gospel there is good news. And why are we so afraid to share the good news? Social media, we share the best place to eat or a vacation we've had. But boy, if we share our faith, we might get blocked from somebody, somebody or might offend them. Or if we truly share our faith with somebody, that may, may hinder that relationship. But how can you not share about what's most important to you? May God give you the boldness as you do that. That's what I pray for a lot, is boldness to share my faith. And that's hard. It's not easy, no matter who you are, to be bold to share your faith with whoever has ears to hear. Listen for those questions like the Ethiopian had. Can you explain this to me? Or why, why did you go to church yesterday? Or why can't you do this? Or why, what? Look for those opportunities that may be small, but an opportunity for you to share, even briefly. And listen to the direction of that person. Don't just tell them what you think they need to know. They may not be ready for all that. Or they aren't ready for all that. You know, if when I see someone newly saved, I think, okay, we need to start with milk here. <laughs> you know, one of my discipleship classes I teach is I, I have a, two whiteboards, milk and meat. I fill one board with, what do you think are milk doctrines or, or some basics, foundations, fundamental things? What are more meaty things you need to sharpen your teeth on? Um, and you also need to grow and develop. And so it's good for them to think through some of the things. But Philip started with the foundational message, and that's where we should start too. Whenever I meet somebody, a pastor, a friend, I try to get to two questions. What's God doing in your life? And how can I pray for you? Through those two things, it reveals the heart of somebody and also reveals a spiritual interest in that person. Many of the Ukrainian brothers and, and sisters in Christ, it's nothing that gives them greater joy than to pray with them. Pray with the young couple as they're making some big decisions in their lives. Economically, they're challenged, but spiritually, they're rich. They have so much to offer. And as I see them wanting to become a part of the European Union and be a part of, uh, be recognized more like that, I'm afraid what that might do to them morally. Economically, it would be great, but spiritually, it may be very harmful for them. As we close and we look at this, I want you to challenge you to live like Philip this week. Live like Philip in your prayer life, your quiet time, and your outreach to other people. Maybe the Lord's prompting you to do something. If you want someone to share that, that calling or that prompting, I'd be happy to talk to you about that. Don't wait. The chair is rolling. <laughs> you may miss that opportunity. When I first went to Ukraine, or Russia in 95, I said, this is not going to be open that long. It may be 20 years. It's been a little bit more than that now, and it may not be open for forever. So I want to maximize the time. But it's in a good place right now. It's a good place where I think Ukrainians are now serving other places outside the country, thinking about missions beyond their borders.
And maybe they're coming here. They are coming here, but maybe for, as missionaries to, to help strengthen the church like we have done for them uh, for 25 plus years. In Ukraine, we always close in prayer. And in fact, anytime we pray, we always stand. So if you can join me and stand as I close in prayer. Lord, we take a moment now to listen to you. Your spirit is working here at Discovery. It's working here in Geek Harbor, Pierce County, Washington, America, our world. We thank you for that. We thank you for the lesson of Philip, for his obedience to follow the Holy Spirit, for his boldness to share the gospel message, for his diligence to study the word of God. We thank you for the curiosity of the Ethiopian, the hunger and desire he had to know the truth. We thank there was someone there that could explain it to him and that he could accept that and he could go away rejoicing, a changed person. Work in us, Lord. Help us to go away today rejoicing of what you can and will do in and through us and sometimes even in spite of us. We pray for you to give us wisdom, give us spiritual discernment to know and to do your will. No matter what it may cost, no matter what may happen, we desire and want to follow you faithfully. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.